In Lauren Lake's courtroom, there is no nonsense. Just results. Mr. Jackson, you are the father. <laughs> Live it, own it, be it. You see it? Listen to Lauren Lake's Paternity Court on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Selwyn. You may remember me as a host from ESPN, Attack of the Show, or even Immortalized, that competitive taxidermy show on AMC. We lasted one episode. Anyway, three times a week, I'm bringing you the realest fake news of the day. It's the Saturday Night Live News Desk, but in an audible format. Listen to the Audio Up News Network on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips. Welcome to the show. Lip service today. On today's show, we have Taryn Manning, an American actress and singer, starring in movies like Eight Mile, Hustle and Flow, and currently one of the stars of Orange is the New Black on Netflix. An amazing show. Uh, we're going to talk to Taryn about everything encompassing her acting career, her singing career, her being a DJ, an animal activist, and all kinds of things. So stay tuned in just one moment. We have coming up on the show, Taryn Manning. And just as a reminder, the show is available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and all your other musical services. So do us a favor, download the show, rate the show, review the show. It's very helpful. And uh, coming up in just one moment, Taryn Manning. This is Lips LA on Dash Radio. Cool. So Tara Manning in the house, we actually gave you an enormous welcome before and talked all about your illustrious career nice. before you got Thank here. You. So not to, uh, but yeah, it was all, all really great stuff. And there's a lot to get into today, Tara. so I wanted to kind of take it back to the beginning. So, cause you kind of run two parallel paths here, the acting, the music, the DJing, there's even like animal rights stuff we're going to get into the dog stuff. Cause I'm a huge dog person nice. too. So take me back to the very, very beginning, if you don't mind, because I think your path Ooh. and your journey is pretty cool and pretty interesting. And well, which part about it? that Like you know, growing up, growing up to like land in all these major roles. We have Orange is the New Black. We have all the films you've done. You have new music droppings. So the, with the, kind of how you started, right? You grew up, um, as far as I know, in, in Virginia, right? Yeah, I was born in Virginia. Which is awesome. Falls yes, Church. Falls Church. Yeah. Correct. And a musical family. Yeah, musical family, um, more than actors or, you know, my mother was a dancer, um, but yeah, no actors anywhere in sight. <laughs> and were you watching TV shows and movies as a kid and you were like, that's something I really want to do? Because I know you even, I think your mom even enrolled you in like karate class. from what Yeah, I, I was in martial arts and I did, I excelled and then I realized I was a very sore loser because I was number one in the state of Arizona two years in a row and then I got second place and I quit. Awesome. <laughs> and you decided that wasn't for you, the karate. But what the big lesson in that was, because this will trickle down to where I'm at, is that um, you can never sort of like when you're on top, you have to maintain, you know, you, you know sometimes when you're, when you're doing really well, we tend to slack and we tend to get comfortable. And what that showed me was that um, I got too comfortable at a very young age. So, so I realized like, you know, you can't do that 
and the person that, that there's always somebody that wants it more than you do. So at 12, you were not comfortable. Hot you were on your st- heels. hungry. I'm eight years old. Eight, eight, to, years old. eight to ten. So you so you grew up in this musical family. You grew up pretty modestly, right? I talk a little bit about how you grew up. It was actually because I think the whole story is quite interesting and inspiring for people because you've gone on to do so well. So talk a little bit about how you grew up and, and your surroundings and whatnot and where you came from. Well, um, you know, allegedly, meaning like, I don't know why, I don't know why these things happen, but I grew up modestly, that's a nice way to put it. Um, you know, Section 8 housing, what have you, I didn't know the difference. You that's know like, I mean? is that trailers kind of Section um, 8 or is that? Well, that was, the, that was before we went to the mobile home park, but okay. the government housing where they, I guess they help you out and stuff. And, um, but like I said, I didn't know any different. There's kids playing, you know, I, I went to school, went to, you know, my mom, my mom always provided, um, an illusion that everything was, was a okay. So I don't, I don't know that we, we grew up modestly, but that was just normal to you growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't have it in any other way, but I would find out later in life that she sacrificed pretty much everything because I just could not sit still. (laughs) And so, so yeah, so you grew up, your brother was actually into music pretty early on too, right? Yes, he was. And so your brother's playing music. I believe your dad played music. So you kind of grew up all around music surrounding yourself. But when did sort of you started to take shape 10 or 12 or 14, you started watching a lot of TV and film or was music something that you thought that you were going to get into primarily first when you were young? Yeah. So my brother and I formed a band. I was 16 and my brother was six years older than me. So, you know, he started to just, you know, forced me to sing. I, you know, it's your brother. I'm like, I don't want to sing. He's like, just sing it. Sing these words right here. And then these melodies. And so I would just be like, man, man, you know what I mean? (laughs) Just like, because I, it's my brother. Yeah. What kind of music were you guys listening to growing up? Was it Portishead? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Portishead, Morchiba. We loved Massive Attack. We loved Oasis. Cool. We loved Oasis. We love Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just basically we were called Cat at first. Kellen and Taryn. Did you say Hole? Oh, well, that's yes. the band that I currently, well, I play with Courtney, which was oh, when I first joined go. the band. Yeah, yeah. cool. And like Smashing that. Pumpkins, yeah. and, you know, he, he wrote hers, you know, her next big, big yeah. album. Well, yeah. I guess her third album. Yeah. But we we're just really kind of gnarly on, um, you know, the grunge era. Yeah, that's awesome. My so, whole life changed when Nirvana came out. Something I can relate to wholly. <laughs> nice. So so you're playing music, and, and are you watching a lot of TV and film at a young age and thinking, you know, this is something that I aspire to do? Um, I was actually like 90210 and MTV and okay. all that, but no, I never thought about acting. I was singing and dancing. Truly. Remember when MTV used to actually play stuff yeah, and I it do. wasn't just, uh, it was actually music videos. <laughs> you hear it. Yeah. yeah it was actually such that. an, uh, it was Kurt such a Loder. groundbreaking thing. Kurt Loder. I love Kurt Loder. <laughs> um, so you start doing all that. And as a kid, you're working some odd jobs. You're, you're waitressing, you're mm-hmm. a barista, I believe, right? Yes. Any other weird jobs that you had growing up as a kid? Um, not weird. I mean, I worked at Baskin Robbins. I, I excelled. I became the shift leader at nice. a pretty young nice. age. Um, I love to work. Like that was always sort of something that my mom told me to work at a young age. So I just got a job and made my own little side money, and and that was something that was just a normal thing that would carry on to my you know my life today. I don't think I could work in an ice cream store because I'd be eating that. Did you not eat it when you were there? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Remember the little pink spoons? I love those pink tasters. spoons. <laughs> Cookies and cream. What, what was your Cookies flavor? Cookies and cream, That's mint good. chocolate chip. Um, I loved coffee ice cream. So you end up like managing the store yeah, at that I could point. Yeah, ice the cakes and write happy birthday. <laughs> Everything. Do you remember? Ba- do you remember uh, Carvel? That was my jam growing up in New York. Yeah, the, I was more West Coast. Though, okay. So. Do they have Carvel out here? I'm not sure. I don't think so. 
All right, so you're doing all that stuff. You're working these odd jobs, and and music is something that was really true to your heart with your brother, right? And yeah. so, you know, at what point in time did you decide, hey, I want to start to really veer into acting too? Because or was it like a parallel path simultaneously that you were doing both? You know, it's so hard to explain like how this happened. Um, basically, like you know, I moved to Hollywood from Long Beach when I was 19, almost well, 18, almost 19, and. And I was going to like dance classes up here with all the different studios. I won't name them, but I just felt. Um, I just this was felt, like the late '90s, more or less. Yeah, okay, yep. cool. And I just felt like I don't know. I just felt not completely satisfied, and I was like, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm the, you know, because I was like um, trying to become a backup dancer for different singers and this and that, which I got many, 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 you know, parts in that. And then I'd be like on tour with with one of them. One being this singer Catalina. Okay. She's saying I'm with a DJ. Okay. Remember her? Um, I'm not D- sure. He's like, hey, Mr. Bouncer, I'm with a DJ. We might it's have like to a, play that. Though. Yeah, Stump <laughs> Records. So like I went on tour with her at a very young age. My mom was very cool about, about letting me out of school and stuff. So um, I did well in school, but you know, I could, probably could have done better. But you were taking acting classes, to be fair, when you were a kid, right? At so, 13, at I 13, started right. taking acting classes okay. because some of the other girls at dance class did it. Yeah. And, and I was kind of a poser. And at that point in time, we were like, this is something I could see myself doing. Did you have a love and passion for acting? Um, I just wanted to fit in. Yeah. So you were know? you like the popular kid at school or would you not? Not really, no. I just, yeah. no, I was just too busy all the time. And now all those kids are like, you know, we were, I was like best friends with Taryn when yeah, I was Yeah, they're a kid. like, I remember Taryn. Like yeah. she was always up to like something. Like it's funny to hear about me from like different people's perspectives. I yeah. mean, apparently people always say like they knew I was like gonna, I was bound for some type of weirdness. <laughs> I, I love that when they, you talk to people now, they're like, I always knew she was going to be a star. And then back then they never spoke to you or something. Right? Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. plenty of that. I guess at Baskin Robbins, I would talk a lot about, what's funny is at 16, I would talk a lot about these commercials I was going to do and these <laughs> things. And like, I don't know where I was pulling this information from, but, but I guess I was just dreaming these dreams. And, and, um, and then, yeah, I would go on, I went to an amazing acting school just so you know, like from 13 to 19, I happen to ha- happen upon one of the, I feel like one of the best um, acting teachers. That wasn't in California, right? No, it was. It was, it was in Burbank. Okay, cool. It was okay. called the Shop. Okay. And um, you know, th- this place would turn out people like uh, Kirsten Dunst wow. and, and Lily Sobieski and Erica Christensen and Evan Rachel Wood, and we were all just young. A couple girls. Of people that didn't do well. Yeah, they just didn't yeah. do well at all. Yeah. You know, just like a few superstars. Yeah. Um, but very quality actresses. Um, and actors. It, we're actors, by the way. Apparently we're, we're we're not actresses we're actors actors right so you know these these females that I worked alongside with all the time would turn out to be you know working actors and but he always told my acting teacher told me I sucked all the really? time yeah, nothing like sad. a little encouragement right? to help you along there. just like burn that fire in me so I had a very always had a competitive side and so I just kept you know working towards it. So when he told me that I sucked at like 16 or 17, that just made me like go harder, harder, harder at it. So at 19, he told me like, okay, you're ready. Were you working uh, a job then in Long Beach when you moved out here and you were going to school in Burbank? Yeah, I was working at Tony and Guy. Okay, cool. As a receptionist. I love hearing these stories like that. I was fired. You were fired? (laughs) For what? What, what were you? Because my till would always come up like short, like right. or or over, like but like by seven cents, and I just couldn't ever get it right. You That's know? back when people cared about change. No one yeah, even change. cares change anymore. Like, What's ridiculous. change? Yeah, so I was embarrassed, but they let me go. But it just pushed me closer into 
into Hollywood, I guess. So, so you're taking classes. And I think the really interesting thing is like, listen, I thought about it the other day. There's, I don't even know if there's 2 million people that are trying to act in LA, but there's got to be at least at the very minimum hundreds of thousands, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that you were able to secure all these great roles will get into Hustle and Flow and 8 Mile and obviously the new one, Orange of the New Black that you've been in for six years now, I believe. Yeah, seven, well, seven. Seven years. But, um, seven but the process, right, of you being a kid, going to school out here, you know, you're taking classes, your teacher's like, hey, you're not great, you need to work in your crap. Yeah, like, I didn't know anybody, you know. So, I, so talk about how, how did it happen, because I think that's what's so interesting. I, I mean, it, it, because, it's a, Because I do get cornered often, and I think this is important, if, if there's anybody that... Is there actors, other actors that watch this show that yeah, want yeah. to know how to make it? Yeah. Right? So I don't know, first of all. I have no idea how you make it, okay? All I can tell you is the way I did it. And it's so it's so grassroots from the bottom up, okay? Like, meaning I don't know anybody. I don't care about CAA, William Morris, UTA. These names to me are just like one day. Right. But if you meet kids nowadays, and I, when I say kids, I mean like anyone from like, let's say 21 under, like very entitled, okay? Meaning- No question. I don't know what that's about, but like they don't have any interest in my journey because they want to be right up there with CAA. And I just have to tell you something. They're all going public soon. No one gives a crap. Like they don't care about you. They care about the bottom line. Like right. you want an agent that actually gives a damn about you within any agency here in this town. Definitely. We all, they all get the same breakdowns. They all get the same information. And it's just a matter of you going in there and, and doing what you do. And pretty much there's probably already an offer out. Yeah, and I want okay. to talk about how you actually landed a manager or agent, and because that's all interesting stuff. So you start auditioning early on, and the I think it was more like the late '90s. You start landing some smaller roles, right? Well, NYPD I mean, Blue and first Boston of all, Public. there's a bookstore called Samuel French. Okay, I think it's very important that we go back to the grassroots of like learning about acting and and how to get an agent and how to it, it, go to Samuel French and and go go stay all day in that in that bookstore. And just become enriched by all the intel that you're gonna get about how how much the business it sucks. Yeah, to be an actor. So did you actually were you <laughs> in that bookstore all day and just all day kind of, every day? Really? And so what yes. books were you reading? Uh, interesting um, enough to, to know well, about that. Well, I mean, pretty much you could find any book on my shelf, like how to get an agent, how, how to make it, how to. But all the while I was taking classes, you know, like you couldn't find me really enriching myself in playwrights as much because no one cares here in LA. Right. If you're right. in New York, it's all about New York. And I'm yeah. not, I'm not putting down the the craft of, you know, of acting. I believe so much in the craft of acting and how much you have to respect it. Um, I just don't think that anybody cares about the history of acting. Right. right. Let me know when they do, because yeah. then we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, it's it just it's very hard to make it and. I have no idea how I did it, except for probably because I'm not the cookie cutter, you know, right, right. person. And, and I don't really know how much to tell you that you can make it if you just don't care. Well, it's also a lot of hard work now. Care. And I feel like there is a bit of entitlement now where people probably don't want to put the work into it, right? Um, no, or they put the work in, these kids. No, they put the work in. They, they think that the acting class is just going to take them to the top. But it's really like you don't have to whiten your teeth every day you don't have to get fake lips you don't have to put hair extensions in actually be as ugly as you can be right yeah i guarantee you yeah. that that's gonna open the door quicker <laughs> right right more quickly 
So, so you're out here and you're doing all that stuff, and I guess you didn't you care, but you didn't care in a sense because you were just. But I didn't know I didn't care. Right. I was just very much me, without any type of anybody in my head or anybody any any Kardashians in a sense. Right. Meaning, meaning, love them, love what they've done, yeah. but like, but there wasn't a prototype to a female that I thought I had to live up to. Yeah. Who were the actors that you were? Look, I mean, there had to be a few that you were like. That's a great question. Um, I love people such as Jodie Foster. Yeah. Great. Molly Ringwald. Let's talk about Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Meg Ryan, you know, people that weren't, you know, let's say drop dead babes, but just that left me with an impression. And also great actresses too. Oh yeah. And they're yeah, great actors. Definitely. Definitely. So, at what point in time did you kind of think, well, this is starting to become a thing. I'm auditioning. I'm starting to get a few roles here. Because I know, I feel like, uh, from what I understand, NYPD Blue and Boston Public were some of the early ones. That was like right? my first one. Boston the first Public. one. So, so like, how did that feel? What was that process like? What happened? Tell us a story. Cause well, I, think it's- I got Boston Public and I got a um, guest starring role and I thought I was rich. Okay. So I, I quit my job. <laughs> what, what kind of money do you make when you your first role in the? Well, it's called Tapas Show. Okay. And I think it was a whopping five thousand something something dollars. By the way, per show, lots of money to me. Was that per show? Per guest star. Per role. guest star. Okay. I just got one part. Okay, kind of a lot of money though when you're Absolute, your first role. I quit yeah. my job. I was like, I made it, but nobody had taught me about agent fees manager fees and taxes you got like 500 bucks when i pretty much got like a thousand dollars and i I cried and cried and cried mom you wouldn't believe this and i cried and then i I had quit my job so i had to go back and get another job because it took a long time to get the next part so for people that don't know you get your fee but then there's all these people around you that take a percentage so you have your agent you have Mm -hmm. your manager in some cases and by the end that five thousand dollars comes to be not too much money it down so you get that, and, and then eventually you're like, wow, but this is something that I think, I, I feel like this is starting to happen for me, right? And, oh, yeah, and it's just a lot of fun at that point. You know, yeah. Like, I just go in there, and then I get the part, and this thing happens. So then it just becomes, like, just fun. And, and again, like, there's just no, um, how do you, like, say, there was no pressure on it. No pressure. Yeah, because I was a ballerina, and, like, if you can get away from that type of pressure and, like, this is fun and the yeah. money's coming in. Then it just became about just a competitive. And that's the thing is I come from a place of competition because of martial arts. Right. So, but I do say that go into those rooms with a competitive spirit, even though you're not going to look like her, her, him, him. There's still, there's a, it has to be that fighting side to you. Like in a, a good fire, a fire, yeah. a fire within you. That's like, there's no one else for the job but me. And in 2002, you're also starting to kind of write music with your brother. So there is sort of a, a parallel path that you're running. And you end up... Uh, landing- I get fired from a movie. What's that? I got fired from So that movie. wasn't... Because you did land a row with Britney Spears. We should talk about that. But that was like before. your... Before. Before. Okay. So what movie did you get fired from? And why did you get fired, more importantly? Um, I got fired um, because there, um, the, the production got more money okay. in the film. And they wanted um, bigger names. So, so what? So you're filming this movie. What movie was it? I wasn't. It wasn't filming yet, but I was in dance. I was playing a ballerina, so I got like the ultimate role. Okay. Um, I was already in rehearsals and and already done costumes, and I was I was in it, and oh. I was in it with Jenna Malone, who's an amazing actor. We we're playing best friends, and um. This is before 2002. This is the, your first major about movie. Nineteen, almost twenty. Okay. Very, you know, before, and um, I was making um, it's called Schedule F. Okay, which is money. like scale or whatever, maybe, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you're like almost <laughs> 20, I was like, oh, I'm rich. <laughs> and so I was making, you know, this money and, and like I was working with Marguerite Derricks, okay. huge um, choreographer, 
and I'd earned this role and um, I just couldn't believe it. I was so pumped. And, um, and then you get a call and they say, you know what, you're off the film. Yeah, and it was like the most harsh, like harsh call I'd ever gotten. They hung up basically. My manager at the time tried to call back. They didn't take his call and they let me go and they wanted their girls from Roswell. Roswell wow. was a big TV show at the time. So around 2002, you actually got a manager or an agent. It, it I had a manager the, at that time. And that's because you had done a couple but that's of guests. How I started, hold on. So that's how I started making music. So they fired me. I was devastated. You'd think that someone died in my apartment. There was flowers everywhere. Wow. Because I mean, it was a big deal. Of course. And I was going to play a ba- you know, prima ballerina in a movie playing an actor. Um, in acting in a movie playing a ballerina, I meant. Um, and so after that, I was like, screw acting, screw dancing. And I had someone had just bought me a guitar. And then you're like, I'm going to go to this path. And I started writing like sad poems about being fired on my guitar. And listening to Portishead and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, and that's sort of how the music really began. It was I, like from this tragedy. Because your brother had already started a band, right? And so you guys started well, we started a band, but together. I didn't care, remember? Yeah. He's my brother. I was right. like, leave me alone. Um, so, so. so so ultimately then this sort of, it's a, a parallel path. In 2002, you land this major movie with Britney Spears, right? Um, I, actually, I actually did Crazy Beautiful first. Okay. And then I did Crossroads and I did Eight Mile. So when, when you when you land when you land Crossroads or you land Eight Mile more importantly right because that was definitely one of your breakthrough roles like how did it feel how did it feel when you met Eminem the first time because I look at that as definitely one of the milestones of your acting career. Both of those were important to me because I got those back to back and what I thought were very cool about each was that both of those artists had a, a hand in casting and they both chose me and I just felt like I don't know I just felt like I was you know, in that world. Like I was a singer, really. Yeah. You played musician. you played Eminem's girlfriend in the movie, right? Maybe um I yeah, I did and then he put a song of mine on the soundtrack. Amazing. He loved our music. And what was it like when you met him for the first time? You were a fan obviously and so were you nervous? It was How tough it because his his um security wouldn't let me talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I played Janine in the movie. Yeah, and then they and then they were like, Oh shit, you know, and then they let me talk to him. So. And when you finally met him he was cool and Yeah, so funny. Awesome. We'll be right back in one second with Tara Manning. You're listening to Lip Service. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, we're back. You're listening to Scott Lips. We are with Tara Manning. So I want to get into the whole musical career stuff. But again, you know, going back to 8 Mile for a second there. So you met Eminem. It was great. And then your next big role was definitely Hustle and Flow, yeah. I think. So talk a little bit about that because you were also nominated for that for Best Breakthrough Performance. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that was, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that was, that was just what happened was is another actress got got offered that role um and because it took so long to finance the movie that by the time that they financed it she was getting married and she didn't Can you say to, who it was or no it was rachel lee cook okay and uh, she didn't want to play a prostitute and so i was like the hand-me-down i got the <laughs> hand-me-downs which i'm pretty you know infamous to get yeah i like those You've definitely played some sort of, I guess one could say, controversial roles, right? Do you have, when you take on roles, are there ever roles that you turn down? Yeah, I've turned Do you, down roles. I've heard that you discuss stuff with your mom, right? Or yeah, your I used family. to discuss stuff with my mom, yeah. So, so you call your mom, you're like, hey mom, this role is, I got to play a prostitute. Are you okay with it? Or you just go forward with it? I would ask her always. Yeah. yeah. Was there any roles that she was like, you were definitely not doing that? She tried. Yeah. I said no. Is there anything <laughs> that you turned down that you kind of wish later on that you did? Yeah. 
but I can't say. You can't say? No, it's just between us and, and the radio yeah. audience. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and then some, after. Some stupid moves, but. You really? Know, yeah. Youth is wasted on the young. And sometimes you don't really know, right? You turn something down and you don't know what's going to be. I just was like, I don't want to play that anymore. I played that. I played that. But you know what? When I, when I tried to go against my stereotype or my, you know, the whole thing, I didn't work. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is I need to make a living and I love what I do. But yeah, I mean, just trying to find different ways to play the same character again and again, it can be a little bit frustrating. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so, and there's also some other great TV reels you landed after that, Sons of Anarchy. What was that like? That was really, really cool. Yeah, oh. that was awesome. Um, I just worked with um, uh, Mark Boone, who was in that with me in Virginia. Awesome. So yeah, I, I really love that show. It was, it was tough. You know, it was a very much male male-driven show. And a lot of beards. A lot of, a lot of beards. <laughs> a lot of motorcycles. Um, and that, what's the auditioning process like for that? At this point, you've got a couple major movies under your belt. You've been nominated. A couple hit movies, right? And, and you're, not, you're no longer like new to acting. You definitely got a great name. So talk about the auditioning process. Do you have to go audition for that? Do they just call you? Do you audition now? I, again, I think the whole process of like going from A to Z and how you sort of made it is always interesting to people. So I feel like... Um, it would be a lie to say that I, I, I do audition, don't audition, I, I do. And the reason why I audition is because I could just sit around and wait for the offers to come in, which, you know, they're gonna come in, they're gonna be these certain types of, of, of films or, or parts, like I just played. Or I can go and, and fight to get one of the good roles. Because what happens when you start to make it, if you will make it, right. you go make into it. the next, yeah, right. you go into the next level. So it's like each, it's like it's a video game. Next, you know, right. in the next level, level you, got, you got that group of gals, if you will. Then the next level, you got that. So you're just still fighting all the way until you die. So even today you audition for stuff because you feel it's better to get in the room with the director and really show face, right? Yeah, I just feel like sometimes the director will be like, well, let me see how she could play this different than, than the last. Or let me see how Taryn thinks she can be from 1862. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can be 1862. <laughs> you can do it all. <laughs> so 2013 comes around. You get a call to do this new show on Netflix, yes. um, Orange is the New Black. And when you first read the script, we were like, I get to play an inmate. I get my teeth knocked out. <laughs> I mean, um, were you like, this is great? Or you like, this script is a little bit, I'm not sure about it. What were, you, what were well, your thoughts on it? All the while, while you're acting, you know, life, life goes on. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's my life and there's my acting life. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm living. Day things to day. happen. Taryn gets in trouble. Yeah. She goes to jail. Yeah. Taryn, yeah. Taryn meaning you go to jail. Taryn yeah. goes to jail. You want to talk about that, or is that not something we want to leave? You can out? look no. it up. Okay, I'll um, no, leave that out. Okay, it's, it's out there. So it's basically art—it's like art imitating life in a sense, right? So. so I had the the so then what happens is is like I can't get a job to save my life, and um, that was a terrible time. That was actually a terrible time. And that was what 2011 or 12 no, or so, right? 2013. Oh, right around when this when this offer came and this role came around. Yeah. So then yeah. I get this offer to play this funky character on uh, a new um, platform called, you know, Netflix streaming. Right. And, Which but, at the time, it wasn't like a big thing. It was like. Yeah. Well, I really knew about Genji Cohan. I knew about Weeds. And, yeah. and she was going to do this new show. I read the part. It was only like two lines in, in one episode, by the way. Just oh, really? one. I was like. And this was also because we should say that the, it, we, there were already like five or six episodes into it right. when you started, right? You didn't. Right. It wasn't the first episode. No. Yeah. And I was just meant to come in and bounce out. And uh, because of 
how hard it was to get a job, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Yes, please. <laughs> because I couldn't, you know, right, I couldn't get a job you, because of, you know, some stupid yeah. personal stuff. So it turned out really well for me. I, I took the job and just had a blast. So the character's name, Tiffany, Pensatucky Dog. Yeah, actually a lot of nicknames, right? Yeah. So what are all the nicknames that Tiffany has? So there's Pens, Pensatucky, Tiffany, Doggett. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many. There's like. What do all the nicknames mean, by uh, the way? Well, there's so many nicknames yeah. in prison. Yeah, oh, that's you, just how it is. I've never been to prison now. I'm actually scared to go <laughs> e- to prison. Each, each, <laughs> each, that was actually really, really hard because each person, there was the actor and then there was her name. Right. There was the actor's first name, last name, and then the character's first name, last name. There were so many. So many nicknames. So it was so hard to like kind of get to know everybody or to know who everybody was. So were you nervous? Because it's already that that show had already been set up at that point, and Netflix still wasn't like as nearly as big as it is now. Mm. But it's the sixth or seventh episode, and you come in on that episode. So were you sort of nervous to meet the cast? And this, this show had already started taking off. Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, I always say, you know, my character was a, is a you know. A bigot you know she came in just anti anti-gay racist just 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 a real piece of work and and people really thought that that was me like right. that, that was who i was people would come up to you in the street and be like hey you're come, tiffany right no, they wouldn't come up to me they wouldn't come up to you they no, like, run no away love. yeah <laughs> there was no love and even the girls on set were like who's that girl like she's like not very nice like, like but let's not talk to her <laughs> and talk about your, you also you had to wear these prosthetic teeth right and so yeah. what was, was that hard was that a hard thing to um it was tough and yeah. everything but then you just get into it and then you just get lost in it hard to eat like that with those yeah teeth? yeah not many lunches i had because <laughs> right. it was like chip off into the mashed potatoes that's amazing so the final season of orange is a new black premieres july 26th um anything obviously we you can't tell us anything like any secrets, but uh, we just kind of love to know about sort of the evolution of your character and all that kind of stuff and where the season's at because this is the final season, is it not? It is, yeah. yes. So what can, what can we talk about shooting the final season, what the fans will think of the final season, all that kind of stuff? You know, it, for people that follow the show, I think that they'll be pleased with um, the way that, you know, we wrap it up and sort of just, just all the arcs. I mean, they all really come to fruition in such an aggressive way. <laughs> Sometimes when you watch the, like, did you watch Game of Thrones? Did you watch the yeah. final episode? So, because I actually, to, to be quite frank, I didn't watch the first seven seasons. Oh. And then I did a little, like, YouTube tutorial thing because I just rude. didn't have, like, That's 80, rude. I know I didn't have 85 hours to watch TV. So <laughs> I was like, let me watch that. Someone said to me, you know, you can go on YouTube and there's, like, an hour tutorial. There, there were so many kings and queens. I couldn't keep up with what the hell was going on. But I felt very vested on the eighth season because I did a little bit of homework. So you wouldn't know then how how it made you feel truly. I, I wouldn't know, but I, I, I watched enough to feel like I knew what was going on. There, there was, it was very confusing. How did you feel? Well, at the end of the, I did, I think there was a sort of an uproar because at the end, right, it's like the thing is finally done and I, there's so many people that have different opinions on how it ended. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't love the ending from what I saw, but um, I don't know. What did you think, by the way? Because that's a show that had a similar arc, right? It was like the eighth season and people were sort of in an uproar at the end by the way it ended. So are you sort of, you know, how do you feel about do you know how the ending to your show? I well, mean, you did, did they the tell cliff, you? You did the cliff note, so yeah. it's like I could see how that wasn't, you know, very, you know. It yeah, didn't I'm just really being imp- impact. I'm you. being transparent. Other people were like crying, and I was like, I'm not gonna cry because well, I'm not as best as you. For but. true diehard fans of Orange Is the New Black, I do know that they're gonna be devastated by just the season ending, right, right, um, and all the different things that the characters go through. 
it's quite profound. It's devastating. It's interesting. It's beautiful. It's freedom. It's it's not freedom. You know, it's everything. Everything. It's awesome. And you actually have an original song that's in one of the episodes, right? Can we talk about that? Apparently, um, yeah. The last the last episode. Cool. Well, the last time that happened, that was like Eight Mile. You had a song in that yeah, too, right? The last time. No, but I mean, the <laughs> la- you also had something in Eight Mile which did incredibly well. So yes. this is also like yeah, it's one of the of- it's one of those monumental moments in my career because it was just so genuine that I'd sent um, the creators. Um, a song to just say thank you for awesome. my role. And I said, you know, I wrote a tribute to Penzateki, which is my character's yeah. name. And um, and they took to it in a way that I never, ever, ever expected. And that's also goes back to my point about, truly about life, is that, um, in acting, is that when you release all sort of control over everything, like, you know, whether you love your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or or you want this career so bad, like the minute you sort of just like do things and let go and from your heart and not in a place of any type of agenda or calculating, these are when the gifts come and it, and they just, it just keeps showing me that. And I didn't have any type of agenda when I sent it. It was truly to to be like, thank you guys so much. Cause I was a bit of a handful. Definitely. Well, we all are, you know, we're women. It's seven years. It's in a very interesting setting. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there's good days and there's bad days. Um, What's the name of the song that's in the episode? It's called Chains. Chains. Okay. And, and can Chains. you talk about the process or what it was like to sort of write sure. that song? Yeah. I wrote this song one fine day when I was having an anxiety attack. And I just, it just sort of started singing it out of my mouth. Um, and it sort of helped me, like, get through an anxiety attack. It was nothing more. And I was, like, channeling my character. At I was going to say I was inspired by the show, yeah, right? Which makes 100%. it... Makes I think it I was, like, on my way to set, and I was nervous about a scene. That's cool. Well, I definitely want to find out what happens. But but also, there's a lot going on. So you actually just finished The Gateway, right? Let's talk about that new project you have coming out. Yeah, I was just talking about that earlier. I went to Virginia, which was where I was born. Cool. That was cool. Um, just a small role, but in a very poignant film. Um, I got to work with Bruce Dern and... And, um, Olivia Mom, right? In Olivia Mom. I did yeah. not get to work with her, but she's in the film. Right. I think it's going to turn out well. And that comes out this year, too? It does. Awesome. That's great. So at the same time... Um, maybe next year, actually. Maybe next year. Yeah. Okay. Well, around the same time you're starting to land some great roles, you're also doing music. So I want to delve a little bit into the musical side of things, because like me, you do a lot of things, right? You also DJ. Um, is it just You just go by your name when you DJ, too, right? Because I was on your Instagram the other day. I saw you were just DJing a gig somewhere, yeah. right? Where were you... Um, I went to um, Clearwater, Florida. Cool. Yeah. So, do you, how often are you DJing? By the way, is that like? Um, I, I like to DJ as much as I can. It's sort. It's just so much fun. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. What's your? Is it house? Is it what? What kind of music are you DJing? Yeah, house music and you know just basically op- open format dance music and. Cool. So I feel like dance music is always something you've always been really into, right? Yeah. So in 2003, you and your brother formed this band, Boomcat. Around the same time, you're starting to land all these acting roles and at a certain point where you're like I have to choose acting or music mm-hmm. or were you just like I'm going to do both because in LA I, you can do a lot of things at once and people I do had it. to choose you did okay yeah but were you more passionate about one or the other I chose music at the time you did okay and that was after I had done a couple of movies and I mean I got, I got signed to a huge record deal with Robbie Robertson of the band to DreamWorks with my brother and we you know we, we got a bunch of money put into us and I mean Initially, it was because I read somewhere that Randy Jackson, who I know super well, he was on this show. We did not a long demo ago. deal with him. Yeah, so that's kind of where it started, right? Yeah. So you and your brother start writing music. Randy comes MCA. into play, mm-hmm. and then uh, he lives. Randy and I live in the same 
place. So oh, I see him quite frequently. Um, yeah, he's great. And then and the music was almost like dark and brooding initially, right? Where now you kind of veered a little more into like the dance music side. I'd say Portishead, but mm. along the lines of that kind of electronic, uh, a little bit more. My brother and I's music was um, actually pretty, pretty uh, rad. We were like, we th- we were like the Beastie Boys, yeah, but a girl and boy duo. Okay, yeah. all right. And and that was sort of like we we did our MCA demo deal, and then we did when we got signed. It, you know, when you get signed, though, all of our songs were done. And by the way, most of them were done on a, a PlayStation music generator. Amazing. Yeah, because I, you know, I think you're the first money. artist I'd ever interviewed that's done music on that. Yeah, so my brother like rented this game one fine day and um, never returned it, and it <laughs> simulated Pro Tools. Wow! And so he wrote most of our album on on this video game, and so when we went to the studio, he actually brought the PlayStation. Amazing! And then, I didn't know that you could write music on a PlayStation. Well, it was like it simulated Pro Tools, so okay. you had to like build like build like you know the notes and the. My brother's pretty much a genius. So was it, yeah, was it a full band at that point or was it just the two of you guys? I mean, you know, okay. And you actually had a song that was like number one on the hot dance music charts, which is amazing. Yeah, The Reckoning. And yeah, and so talk about like your latest single, The Light and and everything, because we want to play another song of yours for a second. So yeah, so then, you know, Life Goes On and and, um, Boomcat and, well, Dreamworks actually, uh, you know, fell through and, and, you know, the bands got upstream to either Interscope or what have you and, and Kellen and I, um, you know, we parted ways as a as a band, and um, still I, close with your brother. Of course, just, it's yeah. just hard. It's hard to be in a band. People it's, don't know how hard it is to be in a band. It's very sometimes. very tough, especially when like someone's you know still kind of stuck in like in that being me or him. Like you know, just the the what ifs. You know, there's yeah. a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of like what you did wrong, I did wrong. But you know that that's something that you'll learn in life. Like there's you need to just let all those types of things Definitely. go and just move forward. So I've just moved forward and um and just because th- there was a time I only wrote with my brother. That's it. Like yeah. he was the end all be all to my to my music. My brother could, is the only person I'll sing his lyrics that he writes me. Amazing. Because he knows me. Was there like musical differences? Did you start going in a direction, or it was all you guys well, were always on the same page musically? I always loved what he wrote, but he but I don't know if he was just being a hater because it wasn't his music. But it was tough to get convince him on any music i didn't do with him oh okay that's <laughs> always tough right the songwriting process yeah. is really where it My all older starts brother though so it's like but he but then there's a few that he'd be super proud of and there's nothing like getting like a good job from your older brother that's it's awesome and and fast forward now i would say you're solo right so you don't have the band and i want to actually uh play glitch life nice. so you want to talk about a little bit about the song no, my brother loves that song he loves that song. okay yeah. so your brother's favorite song um, and also, and kind of just, you know, wrapping up here, like, let's talk about the song and let's just sort of, you know, where you're at musically now. Okay. We already talked about, you know, what's going on with the acting stuff. And, uh, and the last thing I want to talk to you about is your love for animals. So really quickly, oh. Glitch Life, what's it about? And then we'll go play it in a second. Um, Glitch Life is about, um, I mean, this, you know, the, the title does, I never say the word Glitch Life in, in the actual title, which I always wanted to do is name a song with, you know, something that isn't in the song. Glitch life is just about like, you know, just the malfunctions of life, just the, the glitchy part of life. Um, the song is about, you know, it's a love song, basically like you never know what you have until it's gone. Awesome. Well, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about your love for dogs and we're going to wrap Animal. it up with Taryn Manning. This is Lips LA on Dash Radio. All right, we're back, guys. Taryn Manning. Taryn, last thing I want to ask you, your love for animals. I love animals. You rescue a lot of senior dogs, right? Yeah. You have three dogs? I do. Awesome. 
talk about that for one sec, just because I can really relate to that. I'm a huge, we actually have a dog in the studio today. Hey, Jen's sure dog. Do. There we go. A rescue. Um, you do a lot of work with animals, don't you? Yes. I mean, I do as much as I can. Um, I, I have two rescues. Well, I have three rescues, a cat and two dogs. And my, my very first dog, I wish I could rescue so many more and foster them. Um, basically, my, my, I think my, my newest uh, crusade is to, to try to um, just speak on like, how important it is to spay and neuter. Yeah. When you really look at the problem in, in, in the, you know, the, the genesis of the problem is, is just the, the lack of knowledge people have on, on how important it is to spay and neuter and that cats. Are, are becoming deemed by by the government as, as feral, like basically they they might as well be like roaches or, or rats. Yeah, that's not good. So it, you know, one male cat can go impregnate about eight female cats in one night, and then wow. again and again and it's again. Crazy! And I didn't each, even know that. Each female cat can have anywhere from like you know three cats to about twelve. You guys, so it's like if we can just start with and, and to educate people on and how inexpensive it is to spay and neuter, that right there would stop so much of the problem of how many chihuahuas and pit bulls yeah. and, and cats there are at these at, at these rescues. And also I want to talk about that, you know, I know that many people want like a designer dog, you want like a French bulldog, you want a, you want a Yorkie, you want a Maltese. These types of dogs are also at the kill shelters and they also need homes. So I do not promote breeders. I don't promote breeding of animals. Is there a um, website that people can go to that, that you, so like many. a charity that you are really aligned with for animals? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's best friends, and then I, I kind of go more localized into um, the, the desert where I live in Palm Springs. You could go to, um, oh, man, there's just so many. So many. I'll, give you, I'll give you a bunch of names. Cool. Of them, but. Well, definitely we'll hook that up. But listen, it was a pleasure to have you here. Thank Wrapping you. up Orange is a New yeah. Black. Check out Taryn. <laughs> check out the new music. Thank check you out the new film coming out. We really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thank you and, so much. Uh, and we appreciate you come hanging out for an hour with us. Yes. Thanks, Taryn. Times. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. In Lauren Lake's courtroom, there is no nonsense. When you when I just said I'm a bitch. Don't talk when I'm talking. Just results. Mr. Jackson, you are the father. Live it, own it, be it. You see it? Listen to Lauren Lake's Paternity Court on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dennis Quaid here, and I want to tell you about the Orange Tree. Now, I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up, and much as I prepare for movie roles, I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas, two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. There are two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. 
Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today.